Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John Rogers, I'm your host. I'm a journalist based out in Reykjavik, Iceland, where tonight it is It's late at night, it's 11pm here, and we have a clear, cold, beautiful night outside with um, bright stars. And just before I came to record the podcast, I went outside for my traditional pre-show cigarette and noticed that the northern lights are out. It's the first time that I've seen them this year since the, the days started to get darker, but they're always welcome. So it wasn't the kind of bright sort of retina searing pinks and blues that the people have seen in um, travel photos and stuff. It was the more usual kind of a slightly dim green band of light going across the sky. You can see them a lot better if you go out into um, a really dark place away from the city. But here in Reykjavik you can still see the northern lights at this time of year before the winter storms arrive. Always a beautiful sight. Sometimes down in, in downtown Reykjavik they're still very bright. But tonight it was more of a, just a, a green blur in the sky. But it's very cool. I kind of have to remind myself sometimes, um, having lived here for seven years, how lucky I am to live somewhere where you can see the northern lights on, on a regular basis. Um, and remember that maybe if like, if I'd never seen a rainbow and I saw a rainbow for the first time, it would be pretty amazing. And so even dim northern lights are pretty amazing. So I'm going to take this northern light sighting as a good omen for the show. It's a good time for a good omen, because this week I launched the Patreon for Gaming in the Wild. So I've started up a Patreon account with a couple of different tiers. So for 3 5 or $10 a month, patrons will get access to some uh, patron-only episodes that I have planned. I'm planning to do some um, special episodes, things like uh, spoiler casts for games, because you know this show tends to be spoiler-free. But um, it's sometimes there are games that really demand a deeper look at the plot including spoilers, so I'll do some cool spoiler cast episodes there. I'm also planning some really fun off-topic episodes about non-video game subjects, maybe to do with music or film or TV. I'll do AMA episodes, and I will also make um, posts on Patreon where people can get recommendations for games that are currently on sale in the eStore, so you'll get eStore sale picks and things like that. And patrons will also get an invitation to the show Discord, where you can come and chat with me and other listeners about what we've been doing, what we've been playing, and that's a lot of fun too. So if you're interested in becoming a patron of the show, it's super appreciated, and you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild to sign up. Um, I'll also say thank you to my first two patrons, Angela Rawlings and Reagan Kelly. It's really good to get it off to a good start and get it up and running. So really big thanks to Angela and Reagan for being my first two patrons. And with that, let's move on to talk about the game of the episode. It's a really interesting one. It's a title that I picked up on a, a recent PlayStation Store sale. I think it was down to £5. And I'd never heard of the game before, but I looked up the reviews, as I tend to do, and saw that it was... Kind of a, a divisive game in some ways, but in a way that sounded really interesting to me. It's a mysterious, uh, narrative-driven walking simulator called Virginia. Virginia. 
Virginia is a 2016 release by a company called Variable State, and that is Jonathan Burroughs and Terry Kenny with the musician Lyndon Holland, and the three of them worked together on the script from the game. Jonathan and Terry are the directors of the game. It was published by 505 Games, who I'd heard of before because they'd done Control, but I think these are the only two 505 games that I've played. But I did also pick up a game called Adrift in the same sale, which looks like a really cool um, astronaut game where you're, you're floating in space and you have to navigate a strange situation. So maybe that will be featured on another show soon. And the game was a critical success. It was noted by Time Magazine and The Telegraph, um, two pretty grown-up non-game media. It also won a BAFTA for the best music, where it was up against games like Abzu, Inside and The Last Guardian. So that's some stiff competition, but the music is, is quite spectacular throughout this game and quite a heavy feature of it too, so it's a well-deserved win. And maybe the most noticeable thing about this game right from the beginning, from the opening credits, is that it's highly cinematic in nature. And lots of games are described as cinematic, especially games I think that have an emphasis on cutscenes or set pieces or very choreographed action sequences. But Virginia takes it to another level, really. And I think that's to do with how the story is told. Um, the emphasis on this game is extremely narrative-driven. It's quite a passive experience in some ways. Um, there is really only directional controls and an action button, which you'll use to pick things up or to click on a, an object of interest or to open a door, things like that. But it's also to do with the pacing of the game. Um, as you're walking down corridors or through outdoor areas, the game will jump cut. So rather than being a continuous experience where you move through a space between cutscenes or section beginnings and section endings, you can be walking along a corridor and the game will jump cut to a stairwell and then jump cut to a basement. So it's cutting out long walking sequences that would take you a few minutes to move you rapidly through the game in a way that seems to have much more in common with film editing than with traditional video game direction. And I mean, when I think about what I would consider to be an influence or a, a good comparison point for this game, films come to mind first. So. As I was playing it, I was very struck by the similarity to the film Silence of the Lambs. I was reminded of the way that Clarice Starling is a young FBI agent and we, we uh, witness her coming through her training and being kind of thrust into the world, a male-dominated world that she then has to navigate. There are sequences in that film where Clarice is surrounded by big bulky dudes that kind of get in her way and um, kind of creepy male superiors and things like this. And the lead character of this game is also a young FBI agent. And in part of the game's opening sequence, we, we meet her. Her name is Anne Tarver. And we meet her when she's looking into a mirror and she's putting on lipstick. And then she comes out into a corridor and she walks down to a queue. Um, she joins the queue, comes out onto a stage where she is graduating. So right from the off, um, Anne Tarver has a kind of an a strong comparison to Clarice Starling. And the game also has some other cinematic or televisual reference points, uh, Twin Peaks being one of them. Um, there are lots of nods to Twin Peaks in the game uh, from the music. We'll occasionally get that kind of retro Dan Electro guitar sound 
that very familiar Twin Peaks soundtrack atmosphere. We also get scenes in a diner and some kind of small town uh, scenery and small town culture. It's that atmosphere of interacting with uh, small town society and being in a place where things happen behind closed doors, but where everyone knows each other's secrets apart from you. That kind of small town weirdness. And there's also like a, a strong dash of surrealism. Um, there's also a bit of paranormal kind of stuff in there too. And so it relates a little bit to the X-Files, although I think Silence of the Lambs and the Twin Peaks were, were really strong and evident and welcome uh, reference points for the game. So after Antava's graduation, she's quickly um, given her first case. She comes into the FBI offices. She meets her boss. He's an old, white-haired, mustachioed guy. I've forgotten his name. It's like Doug McDougson or something like that. And she's told that her first case is going to be a missing persons case in the small town of Kingdom, where a, a teenage kid has gone missing called Lucas Fairfax. And her partner is going to be someone named Maria Halperin. But as well as the missing persons case, she gets the twist that she's also going to be taking part in an internal affairs investigation into Maria. So she goes down to the basement, meets Maria. Maria's office is down in the basement like Fox Mulder. And they head off to the small town of Kingdom. And it's a really cool sequence of events, like from sitting in the office with your boss who's smoking and sun beams with uh, dust motes swirling, to going down to this dark basement office to meet Maria, who seems initially suspicious, um, quite correctly, as you're investigating her. And then it flashes into the car, and you're driving through a forest, and then it flashes again to an overlook point looking over the town, and then into a diner where you're getting coffee. But all of this story is told, um, and the whole game actually, is told without voice acting. So everything that you're learning, you're learning through body language, and through the use of a, a familiar cinematic language, like the... You know, the FBI boss is a very familiar character that we've seen in a lot of movies. Um, and the small town is very familiar. So it's kind of playing on tropes that exist in our minds already. And in the body language and facial expressions of the characters to tell this story. And that that's really interesting and fascinating. You spend two hours on this game. It is kind of presented as a feature presentation. So it's kind of a, like a wordless art movie game. And it also feels like an art movie in the use of surrealism. So um, your character has dreams throughout the opening parts of the game. She has dreams of um, a box. Uh, she has a broken key. And there are repeating motifs, some of which occur in real life first. For example, when a, a bison blocks the road, but then starts to appear in all of Anne's dreams, and the same with a red bird that she finds caged in one of the mysterious locations that the investigation takes them to, but then the red bird will appear in these kind of dreamlike visions that occur between the main uh, investigative scenes of the game. And as it progresses, that, that sort of touch of surrealism only deepens. temptation is with symbolism is to try and attach literal meaning to them 
which you kind of can do. I mean, the bison seems to present like a kind of a large, um, sort of intimidating, masculine roadblock. Um, it's literally a roadblock the first time that you encounter it. And the bird seems to represent maybe a kind of a flitting or fragile truth that's hard to grasp, that, that flutters away just when you think you're getting close to something. And I guess a locked box with a broken key is a pretty obvious one in terms of um, secrets and obscured meaning and hidden truth. But as well as like having these possible um, meanings attached to them, they also act just as really good, um, mysterious, engaging, um, atmospheric elements. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to untangle what they mean and just to allow them to be that. But it is the kind of game that will leave you kind of grappling for meaning um, without wishing to spoil it, of course. Um, it's not the kind of game that's going to tie a bow onto the story uh, in, in that neat way. It's definitely a game that leaves more things unanswered than answered as you fall deeper down the rabbit hole that is Kingdom. And I found like a, I found a really interesting interview with one of the directors of the game. It's a podcast interview. It was on uh, playingcatchup.co.uk. I'll put a link to this entire interview in the show notes in case you want to go in and hear the interview yourself. So the quote from the director goes like this. There's certainly enough ambiguity in the more subjective side of the game for people to arrive at their own conclusions, but I think ambiguity is desirable. I think that's when I get the most out of films, music and fine art. That's when I get the most out of it, when it poses questions and offers just enough to discern that there is meaning there, and that meaning lingers with me for a long time afterwards. So that's that's the aim of the game, and that that's like um it's one of the aims of the developers, and it's quite a lofty one for a game. You know, a lot of games will try and deliver kind of a neat and easily digestible and largely enjoyable experience with a, a degree of interactivity and choice. Whereas this game there is not a lot of choice involved. You kind of move from A to B in each scene, then it cuts to another scene, and you move from A to B again. The challenge in this game is really trying to thread the story together, a lot of which is going to be based on your keen eye for details and for picking up on things in case files, and for doing your own detective work within the plot elements, really. For example, when there's a locket with a picture in it, you have to kind of make a little leap there to realise who the picture is of, and there are a few red herrings that are thrown in there where things happen up close to the camera that maybe might lead you down one track but don't. And so you have to be quite active in the game from that point of view. So even if Virginia is light on gameplay, you have to be active as a narrative detective trying to thread all of the different elements together and to get where the game is trying to take you. And that's something that developers were clearly very aware of. In another interview on mcvuk.com, the director said, it's been a far more positive reception than I expected. I anticipated there might be some hostility because it's light on game mechanics. It's not about player choice, rather it's about experiencing a new kind of story. And if you look at the reviews on Metacritic, you'll see that he was right, basically. I think it carries a 77 from critics and a 56 from players. And a 56 is usually a pretty good indication that people either loved it or hated it. So... It's not the kind of game that's going to get a lot of um, fives 
you know, it's a 10 out of 10 for some people and it's a 0 out of 10 for others. And you can read some absolutely glowing reviews on there where people praise the the narrative innovation and the cool cel-shaded art direction and graphics and the wonderful music. And then there are other people that just absolutely couldn't stand the experience and found it to be confusing and too passive in gameplay. And I do think that, I mean, even compared to games like um, what became of Edith Finch and Firewatch and Gone Home and these kind of more classic, uh, renowned games that have come to kind of embody what a walking simulator is, this one is really, really a passive gameplay experience. I can't emphasize that enough. So in Firewatch, you can kind of choose which paths you go down and you you have relative freedom within the narrative framework of the game. But in um, Virginia, you enter scenes where there isn't an awful lot to do other than to pass through the scene. You can stop and look around, like when you're in the uh, the house of the missing kid in Kingdom. Um, your partner, Maria, is kind of comforting the family and trying to kind of uh, get information out of them and there's a few kind of troopers standing around so you can linger and you can take in details you can go into the kitchen and look at you know the sink and the cupboards and uh, and things like that but other than that kind of very small amount of freedom to look around that's kind of it and in the car sequences you're looking through the windshield you're seeing the trees come by the sunset you can look left and see the driver you can look right and you know see a garage go by that's kind of your lot, really. And without the voice acting, it's kind of it's going to take a certain type of player to to enjoy this one, I think. So it's not for everyone. Um, I did enjoy the game. Um, I didn't perhaps take away from it that Twin Peaksy feeling of being fascinated by the detail and wanting to, you know, have ten talks about it and to dive into Reddit boards to untangle it all. But I am very glad that I played it. I think it's a very interesting game. It's interesting as a reference point for the the walking simulator genre, of which I'm a big fan. I do think it, it puts down an interesting marker as far as narrative experiences go as games. Um, and so from that perspective, I think it's it's a valuable game to play if that sounds like it's in your your field of interests. Even though it's only a two-hour game, it doesn't cost a lot. Like I say, I got it for £5. I think it's usually 10 It was 50% off or something. So if that sounds like your kind of thing, I can give a recommendation to Virginia. So Virginia was the main game that I played across the last couple of weeks, but um, I also had a little go at Ori and the Blind Forest, which I know is like a beloved game for many. And I'm a fan of Metroidvanias and also a fan of that kind of magical, mysterious forest environment type of scene. So I gave the game a go and I had a, a fairly good time with it. Um, I did find that I became really frustrated with that game though. I think it was something to do with the kind of Celeste style uh, platforming where you have to kind of get through 10 or 15 or 20 obstacles in a row and it feels like the first time that you take each one on you're going to die basically so 
you know, by the time you're on uh, obstacle number 15, you've done obstacle number one probably 15 times and you probably have to do it five more. So it kind of required this kind of perfection, especially in the chase scenes where where some water is sloshing up the inside of a, a giant tree and you have to kind of escape by carrying out a complex uh, series of maneuvers. And it, it kind of drove me nuts, to be honest. I, I stopped playing halfway through, um, which is a bit of a shame because I'm about to review Ori and the Will of the Wisps for Switch Indie Fix. So I thought I'd warm up with Blind Forest. And despite enjoying the presentation and music, I found the gameplay frustrating. So I hope that the, the sequel addresses some of that stuff. I've heard from some people that the sequel does address some of those quirks of the original. So I'm really hoping to have a good time with that. It was very interesting to play next to Virginia because I have such a gameplay light and such gameplay heavy sort of twitch re responsey game. Very different. And maybe just um, a good signifier of what kind of gamer I am, you know. I'm also going to be reviewing a game called Lost Ember for Nintendo World Report. Um, this one I saw an advert for just whilst checking out the Nintendo forthcoming releases on their website. It's an indie game where you seem to control several different kinds of animal as you navigate a really interesting looking world. Birds and wolves and galloping buffalo and things like this. So I'm really excited about that one too. I also downloaded a game that came as a Twitter recommendation that is called The Shape of the World. Just opening my Switch to make sure I got it right. Yeah, Shape of the World. That looks really fun. That's like a kind of psychedelic looking exploration game. Maybe along the lines of something like Proteus. So thanks to Richard Brynjolfsson at Silly Guelo on Twitter for that recommendation. I always like to get recommendations from like-minded gamers who've picked up on something that seems to be in my taste bracket. And I think I'm also going to play a little bit of No Man's Sky because I saw that it got another really big update recently. Uh, no Man's Sky Origins, they've added more biomes, added more uh, animals, added more... They seem to have added the June Worm, things like this. So No Man's Sky is a great game, but I do think that you start to feel a little familiar with the different types of planet that you find, whether it's desert planet or toxic planet or verdant planet. You've kind of, you've seen most of them after, you know, the amount of time that I spent on it. I spent over a hundred hours in that game, so I'd seen a, a lot of different planet types several times over. So I'm really excited that they've added more planet types to that, so maybe it's a good time to go and dip back into No Man's Sky, which is a game that I really enjoyed this year. Um, other than that, I've just been doing some some paintings as the, the days get colder here. Uh, you can see them on my art Instagram if you want. It's at johnrogers.art on Instagram. And yeah, setting up the Patreon was a big step too. So if you've enjoyed this show and you'd like to get involved with the community of other listeners and chat and recommend games and things like that, you are welcome to come and visit patreon.com slash gaminginthewild and become a member there. Other than that, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I'll be back in a week with another show. Let me know if you've played Virginia and if you've got opinions about it, or let me know if this podcast spurred you on to play it. If so, I hope that you enjoyed it and you didn't feel like I'd caused you to waste your money on the game. Um, but either way, you can find me on Twitter at Gaming in the Wild, also Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube, where I'll post video versions of these podcasts with some gameplay footage 
if you want to see what they look like as you listen. Uh, so yeah, thanks for listening. This was our episode. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll see you next week. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>